You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Forfeit the game before somebody else takes you out of the frame. Put your name to shame, cover up your face. You can't run the race, the pace is too fast, you just won't last. What's up and welcome back to another special crossover edition between the Locked On Bucks podcast and now the Locked On Saints podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as always by David Harrison. We are the hosts of Locked On Bucks. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. And of course, from the Locked On Saints podcast, we are joined by Ross Jackson. You can find everything that he's doing over at the All Saints blog and follow him on Twitter at Ross Jackson ASC. Ross, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, my man. Thanks so much for uh, taking the time to do this with me. It should be a lot of fun, yeah. Always love working with you guys. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely been a lot of fun going through these, going through the division teams and kind of getting the the lay of the land as to how other people are feeling about the the NFC South. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and especially with the way that these last few off or the way that all these teams have done in the off season, everybody has seemed to really hit some really important points going into the next season. So. Uh, it's it'll be a, yet again another interesting division to keep an eye on as always. Well, and, and before we dive into the Saints offseason, the the first thing that I have to ask you is, how do you feel about the NFL schedule makers really just giving you guys oh. a straight shot into the the NFC South Championship by completely <laughs> screwing the Bucks and Falcons? <laughs> I mean, it's it's awful. Like, I don't know. I, I listened to I mean, I, I'm a subscriber. I listen to your you guys' episodes all the time. And the conversation that y'all had about, you know, the potential for whoever it was that made the schedule having some kid dressed up as a, you know, dressed up as a pirate egg their house or something. I, I don't know what else it could have been, uh, but it had to be something along those lines because y'all I mean, like, look, the Bucks completely got screwed with the way that the schedule is not being able to play a home game in five weeks. It's just ridiculous. And then meanwhile, the Saints get four four uh, uh, consecutive NFC South games right out of the bye week to open up the second half of the season. Could potentially be in a good position after week 13 to have already locked up the division. Uh, it, it, it's a little screwy, the schedule this year, for sure. You think it was an mm-hmm. apology for the, the phantom pass interference? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. It was a clean. It was a clean play. It was a clean play. <laughs> oh man, no, but I, yo, but I will say this though: that for the Saints, it is tough right out the gate to get started against four straight uh, playoff teams, 2018 playoff teams. Because of course, looking into the past, we don't know what those those teams are going to look like coming into the beginning of the season. So they do have a rough start when it gets into the beginning of the season. But like I said, I mean. Oh, man, what the Bucks ended up with, and and you know, I'll throw the Raiders in there too. Uh, what the Raiders and the Bucks ended up with, with that home, with you know, that lack of home <laughs> presence throughout their almost entire schedule is just a little ridiculous. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. 
ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get the quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash locked on. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. The Saints have had some roster movement. Which loss is going to hurt the most, Mark Ingram or Max Unger? Oh, man. Um... I'm going to stick to the idea of what happens out there on that field. And I'm going to say Max Unger. Um, Max Unger for me is a huge loss for the Saints. And it's a little bit tougher to replace him than it is to replace the production that Mark Ingram brought to the field. Remember Mark Ingram missed the first four games of the season last year. And Alvin Kamara did fantastic uh, in, in his stead. So there's a little bit less concern with that. And I know that a lot of people like to talk about the culture, the culture, the culture when it comes to Mark Ingram, but strictly talking about what's on the football field. I mean, Max Unger was the person that led communication out on the football field. His and Drew Brees' chemistry was among the best in the league when it comes to quarterback and uh, quarterback and offensive line, quarterback and and center. And then his communication with the entire offensive line, setting up those project protections, reading defenses, king and diagnosing, doing all of that. Uh, he's a master at that. And he was an Ironman at it. I mean, remember, he's one year away too from having played every single offensive snap along with your breeze so uh, mm-hmm. i would say that missing out on max unger or missing max unger the season is going to be uh a little bit have a larger impact but maybe the saints have done the right things to sort of help to lessen that as much as possible now i did write that i think mark ingram was the bigger loss but i definitely honed in on the culture stuff that you were talking about like that's mm-hmm. exactly kind of what i talked about and honestly, man, when I started researching for this episode and for the column that I'm writing or that I wrote to accompany this episode, I actually really started to feel bad for Mark Ingram because when Mark Ingram came in to New Orleans, like they were they had recently won a Super Bowl. This was like one of the teams that beat like there was supposed to be multiple opportunities for the Saints to, to win more championships under Sean Payton and Drew Brees. And I know all the scandal stuff went down and everything else, too. But really, I mean, if you looked at Mark Ingram's career, you would imagine by now that he's at least had some really good shots at winning a Super Bowl. And for the way that the last two seasons played out and for him to go out of New Orleans following those two seasons, like I really just kind of feel for the dude because now he's going to Baltimore, which no disrespect to the Baltimore Ravens, but I mean, people are making bets on whether they're even going to make it out of their division into the playoffs, let alone challenge for a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? So I just, I feel like Mark Ingram's best shot at winning a championship in his career was definitely with New Orleans. Now that he's gone, it's gone too. But I think from a functional on-field standpoint, I think you're 100% correct. It's Max Unger, even though I'm going to leave my article the way that it is. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to rewrite it. But um, <laughs> just, just want to throw that like I really started to feel for, for Mark Ingram. I was like, wow, man, like this dude, like when you look back at you know Mark Ingram's football life, this is going to be a really sad end to what should have been a really good chapter of his career. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at him coming into the league in 2011. He was part of the NF, one of the NFL's most explosive offensive, nearly 7,500 yards of total offense generated that season. Arguably one of the most, uh, I mean, easily probably actually the best Saints team, especially on offense that we've seen so far uh, in, you know, in franchise history. And then to go through those 2012, 2014, 2015, 2016 seasons and be considered widely. I mean, a lot of people talked about Mark Ingram as a bust. And then all of a sudden you get into, uh, 2016, 2017, when he becomes only the second player, 
all time as as, uh, as a running back to exceed 1,000 yards in consecutive seasons since Deuce McAllister. And so, you know, he was really sort of on the up and up. Then he gets this running mate, this guy that quickly looked like he became his best friend in Alvin Kamara and then just wanted mm-hmm. to bet on himself this offseason and maybe got some bad advice from his agent and then it just didn't work out. Now he ends up, you know, he's got a little bit more of a lead back role in Baltimore, which is nice, but it kind of depends. I mean, you can look at him as the lead running back, but kind of in a way, Lamar Jackson is kind of always going to be your lead running back on that team and so it's a little bit tougher for him to kind of be able to yeah regardless I I agree I completely agree it it, kind of stinks for him uh, because he's been in position these last couple years finally capped it off 2011 he was in that position as well and then you know he enters this the Saints history books and the fond memories of you know the Houdat Nation and then now all of a sudden he's gone he's gone that quickly so uh, yeah Yeah. it kind of stinks when he signs his one-day contract back in New Orleans to retire I think that he's gonna regret leaving yeah, but but when he does Money or that, no though, I think he's gonna regret leaving. Yeah, but when he does that, though, I will say the city will shut down to 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 support him a hundred percent when he comes through with that. I hope so. That that's he. I think he deserves it. Yeah. Switching over to to the defensive side of the ball, and it seems like the past couple of years, yeah, the the Saints' defense has really gotten off to some slow starts. I mean. Week one at home last year, you guys gave up like 6,000 yards and 96 points to Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Buccaneers. I don't know if you remember that or not, but they really started <laughs> they really started to get it together and become one of the one of the best and most complete teams in the NFL. And mm-hmm. what did the Saints do in the offseason? Kind of recap what they've done to help the defensive side of the ball, especially when you have a, you know, a high-octane offense in Atlanta – you're assuming that you're going to have a healthy Cam Newton in Carolina to mm-hmm. team up with with an explosive Christian McCaffrey, and now you have the brain of Bruce Arians joining the division. What, right. what are the Saints doing this offseason defensively pre-draft uh, to, to really shore up that side of the ball? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that they did and that they did well is that as whatever parts of it that they had control over on the defensive side of the ball, they kept – that squad together. And I think that's one of the big things. They re-signed PJ Williams. They got him back in the building. They re-signed Craig Robertson, got him back in the building. Chris Banjo, Justin Hardy, those guys that aren't super, you know, the, they might not be the biggest playmakers on the field, but they're certainly, I mean, PJ Williams was huge for the Saints when Patrick Robinson went down with that injury in week four, and then he became the, the staple slot guy. And so they did exactly what it was that they said that they were going to be doing all throughout the combine interviews that their biggest and main, um, the, you know, it's ironic that we're talking about this this way coming off of just having the Mark Ingram conversation, but the big emphasis was to keep the team together, right? So that was sort of what they did. And then when it came to them having to sort of shore up those parts that they couldn't have, that they didn't have any control over, which all centers around Sheldon Rankins uh, having that Achilles injury in the playoffs against the Philadelphia Eagles, he's going to be out more than likely the first half of the season. He'll likely start on the physically unable to perform list. And so you look at the signings that they made with uh, nose tackle uh, Malcolm Brown, who is somebody that can step in and help alongside Taylor Stallworth in that nose tackle position. You bring in somebody that has some flexibility and versatility that can play as that interior D lineman on a you know four-man set, but then can also pop outside to an edge rusher position in Mario Edwards Jr. Uh, and then you end up, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, David Onyemata has yet to hear from the league whether or not he's going to be suspended after his marijuana arrest earlier in the season. But you have to imagine that he's likely going to have his season cut a little short. So then they have to make some improvements around the defensive line. One of the big things that the Saints did very well throughout the entirety of last season, and then they eventually found a balance in locking down the pass game. But 
one of the things that the entire season was being able to shut down the run game. They were second in run defense in the league. I think it was only 0.1 yard behind the Chicago Bears by the end of the year. And so, you know, a good part of what they did was to maintain exactly what they had last season and what they found worked, especially after the Eli Apple trade, which is what you're referencing in terms of that's the point to where that defense sort of became complete. And then now they return essentially the same unit plus a couple of weapons. And then the big thing now is just focusing on making sure that they're able to rebound from the Sheldon Rankins injury and stay healthy on the defensive line. I hope you're wrong, but (laughs) 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 Um, and the last one for me, I mean, what do you, what do you see is really, if you had to pinpoint the number one key addition and the number one key loss, and just for argument's sake, we'll we'll push Mark Ingram to the side. Sure. Um, you know, the key addition and the key loss pre-draft for the Saints. If we want to use somebody new, I would actually throw in Alex Okafor. And the reason why I throw in Alex Okafor is because he's on the defensive side. He's one of those players that did contribute to a lot of the chemistry on the defensive side of the ball and then rotated a lot with then rookie, now second year man, Marcus Davenport. Now Marcus Davenport without uh, Alex Okafor in the team should see more snaps. He only played 415 total snaps last season and then managed to rack up four and a half sacks during that time, including missing a few games with turf toe when turf toe got him. And so uh, it's nice to be able to see that he's going to be able to come in and sort of get a larger share, but they're still trying to seek somebody as a rotational third defensive end. But I will say, as somebody that has struggled through the 2014, 15, and 16 Saints years where the defense was giving up historical numbers, it's an incredible thing that I am right now concerned about the third defensive end role as opposed to every starting secondary role like I was <laughs> with Corey White and so on and, so, and Jairus Bird, for instance. Uh, and then the key addition for me would have to be Jared Cook over on the offensive side of the ball, adding a tight end uh, that, you know, look, the Saints haven't really had a big time passing pass catching tight end since Jimmy Graham. They tried it out with Kobe Fleener very clearly did not work. They tried to move Dan Arnold to the tight end position last year, and he dropped a touchdown in the biggest game of his life. And so it's, it's, it's that, that those were tough shots for the saints. And so to be able now, they're literally still, by the way, paying off Kobe Fleener's contract. He still contributes to dead money on the new Orleans saints books. Yeah. So um, that was a very failed experiment. And so being able to get somebody like Jared cook in who's on a two year contract, but gets all of his guaranteed money in the first year, this is a much, much better scenario for the saints and could be a big difference in terms of making sure that Drew Brees sustains throughout an entire 16 game season and potential. And we hope deep playoff run as well to have that big body that can be a monster in the short and intermediate realm, as well as, you know, down the seam and doing those things that Drew Brees hasn't been able to do with a tight end since Jimmy Graham was traded for Max Unger, who we just talked about as well. It all comes full circle. It really does. (laughs) (laughs) It really, really does. (laughs) But what you pointed out, Ross, is that the Saints had a really bad defense for a few years, and then it kind of suddenly, almost unexpectedly, became really good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at 2017 was another year to where they started off and they struggled and struggled and struggled through the first few games of the season. Um, and then all of a sudden turned it on toward the end of the season. And then you saw, you know, that was the year that everybody was convinced that Ken Crawley was a starter, you know, and he was playing like a starter mm-hmm. during that time. And then you get into the beginning of the 2018 season and then you start to see glimpses of that 
14, 15, 16 years start to pack up again. I mean, you know, like 48, 40 to open up the season at home with a loss and then to go on a 10 game win streak, but still continue to give up big time passing yards and everything throughout. But then the addition of Eli Apple to get that second cornerback spot opposite Marshawn Lattimore locked down a little bit more firmly made a huge difference for the squad and then was able to sort of put them in more of a winning position. And it kind of happened sort of at the snap of a finger. I mean, when you look back at 2017, there wasn't a ton of expectation for that Saints defense through the first half of the season. And then all of a sudden it all turned on and led to the playoff run. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I just want Bucks fans to hear that that can happen. That that's a thing. That <laughs> yes. could yeah, no, very, very well. It, it can happen. It can happen. And look, a lot of it is, a lot of it is adding young, young talent, adding cheap young talent so that you can continue to put the young vets around. You can sort of combine that, future young player model and the young vet model, which we've seen the Bucks start to be able to do this season. And I've, I look, as far as I'm concerned, Bucks fans have a lot of reasons to be excited and feel free to use the Saints as an example because those defenses can turn around as long as you have the right players and the right positions and you have all the right pieces for your defensive coordinator. And, you know, as somebody that struggled through Rob Ryan in New Orleans, have the right defensive <laughs> coordinator as well. Huge difference. Huge difference it can make. So what you're saying is yeah. Todd and Bowles I, I, instead of Mike Smith is is a good decision? It could be as long as he gets the pieces that he needs. <laughs> That's mm. That becomes the good part. That becomes the big part. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a lot of concern. I mean, there, not that there's a lot of concern, but, you know, I mean, you look at what Todd Bowles wasn't able to do with somebody like Darren Lee, and certainly it makes you a little bit concerned. But let let's not forget the fact that there's a new leader altogether with that team with Bruce Arians, who's tried true and proven, right? Which I think honestly is one of the biggest things that the Bucks were able to do this season was to be able to have that change into the guard and get somebody like Bruce Arians. And I mean, I mean, I imagine that that has to be one of the more exciting things, even outside of just the roster changes. When you look at what they were able to do to bring in somebody like uh, Bruce Arians, I imagine that's got to be extremely exciting. I mean, go to go from Dirk Cutter to Bruce Arians. I imagine that that feels really great. <laughs> Oh, no question about it. I said it before, and I'm sure I'll continue to say, you know, David and I started that BA to the Bay hashtag back in November mm-hmm. 17. So we were we were more than thrilled that, that he was the guy. So, you know, having a, a competent and proven coaching staff is is something that really the Bucks haven't seen since John Gruden was around. Speaking of wide receivers, though, Ross, and this is going to kind of lead us into the draft a little bit. I was pretty surprised. I know the Saints didn't have a lot of draft picks, but I was pretty surprised they didn't spend one mm-hmm. at all on a wide receiver. I mean, Michael Thomas is is great. Like he's he's on his way to legendary status. Traquan Smith has a lot of upside as well. Ted Ginn, like I'm an Ohio State guy, so I love the man, but I mean, he's up there. I mean, he's not the same Ted Ginn. I mean, he's so faster than a lot of people, but he's not the same Ted Ginn Jr. that he used to be. I mean, What's up with the receiver core? Like, are you are you good with this receiver core as it is, or do you did you think they would add to it in the draft as well? Uh, I completely expected them to add to it in the draft, and especially going into the fourth round, seeing Hakeem Butler drop all the way down there from Ohio State, uh, and really just a lot of other receivers that sort of came into that came down to reach. I mean, Stanley Morgan Jr. went completely undrafted. Uh, one of the guys that actually ended up as an undrafted free agent to the Saints was somebody that I also really liked. That's Anthony Johnson out of Buffalo, who could have been, you know, a day three flyer. But what the Saints did in the draft was that they didn't look at position as much, uh, with the exception of moving up for Eric McCoy, which was a big need for the Saints in terms of figuring out what they were going to do along the interior offensive line, and now having that pretty short up. But, you know, a big thing that they, that they focused on was going by their board. You know, for them, they were able to, 
two with picks 48, one, uh, 48, 105, and 177, select three players from their top 70 on their draft board. And that was their focus, was essentially following their board. And they followed that up with a day three tight end and a day three linebacker, which everybody kind of expected. And so that that's kind of the way that the the board just sort of fell for them and especially being able to draft these players that have some special teams value as well and so they just kind of didn't see wide receiver as uh where they were on the board along with the other players that were up there and where their rankings were wide receiver just didn't really come to fruition for them they did try to sign a wide receiver in free agency the big one being um uh, adam humphreys who we just discussed and outside of that they really didn't pursue any other wide receivers once that those trade talk or sorry once those uh those contract talks sort of fell out and fell through so uh, you can kind of look at it a couple of different ways, but right now it looks like the Saints are pretty happy to go into 2019 with the receivers that they have. Traquan Smith, maybe they're seeing a lot of growth out of him. He has worked his tail off all offseason uh, to work on that lower body control to increase his, you know, increase his route running potential, increase his ability to make, uh, you know, gr- uh, quicker decisions and you know, accelerate out of breaks, make his cuts, things like that, that will help him create separation, which is where he really struggled last season. Uh, and then they have a couple of undrafted free agents that are exciting to see as well. And so, you know, you got Cameron Meredith coming back from injury and Keith Kirkwood, who really sort of stood out last season uh, as an undrafted free agent when he came into the league after off the practice squad after Des Bryant was signed and then immediately uh, done for the season. Uh, and so they are obviously very comfortable with where they sit, at least at this point with the wide receivers. But it'll be interesting to see what happens as they move forward sort of into the next phase of free agency when the cuts start happening with other teams and everything like that to see if maybe somebody falls to them through free agency later on that they might be interested in adding. Now you mentioned him. What's up with Des? Uh, well, I mean, we just saw a couple days ago that he is running and cutting and sort of getting to the point now it's where he's building confidence, as he says. Uh, I don't, you know, the the video that they showed was him running two routes, uh, two routes, one of which he fell down. <laughs> so, you know, that's all part of that's that's all part of the building confidence part, I'm sure. But I mean, he's somebody that probably isn't going to be a realistic option for the Saints during the offseason, but could be somebody that if still available at a certain point in the season, if there are some injuries that start to pile up that the Saints could potentially bring back into the building. Uh, but outside of that, there's not really too much of an update. Uh, Sean Payton, Mickey Loomis, they tend to skate around questions with Des Bryant. And the sort of rehearsed answer is we'll see what happens with his rehab. And so that's kind of what they're waiting on at the moment. Focusing a little bit more on the draft, obviously the Saints did a lot of wheeling and dealing to, as you said, to move up and and get guys that they had rated highly on their board. You guys came away with somebody that Buccaneers fans were coveting up until they spent three day two picks on members of the secondary and a guy that might end up being one of the big steals of the draft in in Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the safety out of Florida. What have you seen in watching uh, Gardner Johnson as to why he may have fallen quite as far as he did? You know, that was a big story between Gardner Johnson and Greedy Williams and these guys that were rated so highly on so many media members boards that fell as far as they did. So what have you noticed in Gardner Johnson's game that's going to translate well to the Saints? And is he going to be kind of an instant starter guy? Where is he going to fall in? I think that unlike what you saw with Greedy, he was somebody that, you know, refused to take 
uh, interviews or refused to take visits, didn't go to any teams, didn't really answer the questions that were out there for him. When it comes to Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, a lot of the criticism that you're kind of hearing at this point is that he didn't interview well. So he did take those visits, he did do those interviews, but then there was something just about his sort of quote-unquote attitude that teams sort of felt unsettled with. For the Saints, attitude is welcome. Uh, All of that is a part of what the Saints do, especially over in that secondary. So I think that he's somebody that has the ability to affect the game and make an impact his rookie season. Uh, What I see from him that really makes me excited about where he fits in with the Saints in particular is his versatility on the defensive side of the ball. He's somebody that can play that single high safety role. He can play in the box, but also when he was in Florida, he played that star position is what they called it, which is essentially a nickelback with some additional responsibilities where he would still share some of those box roles as well. He would also blitz all of that, which is very akin to how the nickel role plays in the Saints system and Dennis Allen system. So with Patrick Robinson coming off of a broken ankle uh, with PJ, PJ Williams potentially being suspended at the beginning of the season because he was arrested for a DWI early in the offseason. Johnson Gardner Johnson actually can step into, I don't want to say a starting role, but can definitely step into a very valuable role on the Saints defense. I think we'll start to see him for sure in dime packages. And then let's say Patrick Robinson you know, has another injury or, you know, simply needs rest or whatever that might be. Chauncey Garner-Johnson is somebody that can comfortably slip into that nickelback role and be able to play there. And then, you know, there's also the potential for the future with him. You know, Von Bell is going into his career, I'm sorry, into his contract season this season. So the Saints expect to keep him and Saints fans expect that he'll stay in New Orleans, but you never know, a la Mark Ingram, what's going to happen when those contract negotiations actually begin and eventually break down or are successful. And so he's somebody that really has a lot of different ways to fit in with the Saints defense. And I think that he will eventually this season make a pretty, pretty quick impact uh, for the Saints team. Uh, I know he's not as huge a a draft pick as the guy that y'all walked away with uh, in Devin White, but he's certainly somebody that uh, Saints fans are very excited about, but I imagine that, especially with Quan Alexander having left uh, and signed in uh, San Francisco, if I remember correctly, uh, yeah. having signed elsewhere. Yeah, uh, that you know, bringing able, being able to bring in another LSU guy, by the way. So all of us are very excited for Devin White, but also very upset that he ended up in the same division. Uh, but you know, there was no big mystery there that he was potentially going to be the guy. Uh, outside of you know your really great analysis of taking a look at those sort of draft lines or the white line and everything, uh, so. I imagine that there's also some excitement about what Devin White is going to be bringing to the Buccaneers defense moving into this 2019 season. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and of course, the the people that didn't want Devin White at five are the same ones calling for Jason Light's head because he couldn't predict the future and, and JPP getting hurt in a car accident <laughs> a week after the draft. Real quick, I, I have to ask you, I saw something on Twitter and I need to know as as someone who covers the Saints how this could, would, and should be viewed. There was a video of of a young lady, probably a high school student, looked like she was wearing her father's shirt. Um, it was a really long t-shirt with the Saints logo on. And then she pulls the shirt up just a little bit to reveal Buccaneer shorts. And yeah. the guy recording it says, you, you love your Devin White, don't you? And she smiles and she goes, yeah, I love Devin White. How is that? How is something like that viewed by, by Saints fans? I will say, I will say that, uh, and, and this, you know, our our friendship here that we've been able to develop here over the Lockdown uh, Podcast Network has been pretty excellent, uh, and, and one of the better ones that I've developed. And I think that there is something. I think that we're an example. I think we're setting a, a great example for Saints fans and Bucks fans alike as the two teams within the NFC South division that don't like each other the least. And I think that uh, <laughs> when you look at when you look at 
the the sort of landscape of the NFC South, there's a lot of respect among Saints fans and Bucks fans as as opposed to or in comparison to when you look at it relatively between, let's say, I don't know, Saints fans and maybe Falcons fans or Saints fans and Panthers fans. Uh, not great relationships there. I think there's a better, a little bit of a better relationship between Saints fans and Bucks fans. And so when I see that, uh, I actually don't get as upset uh, as I would have had, let's say, someone done that in the, let's say, the Deion Jones scenario, wearing fal- wearing Saints gear oh, okay. and then lifting to expose Falcons gear. You know what I mean? Um, I think that the relationship between Saints and Bucks fans is a little bit more um, uh, civil <laughs> uh, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, dedicating your entire season release video to trying to piss off Saints fans. Uh, so I, I, it doesn't bother me that much. And I don't think that, uh, that Saints fans do that. I think that there is such a huge, huge, huge support system for Devin White in New Orleans and Baton Rouge in the in the state of Louisiana altogether that people are just excited to see him go See, excited to see him at the next level and be able to, you know, to provide for his family and do everything that was that he has been working his entire lifetime to do. I think that that becomes more important. And I think that when people say that they hate that Dion, I'm sorry, that Devin White went to the Bucks, it's less about it being the Bucks and more about it just having the fact, the fact that they have to play against them twice a season, if that makes sense. You, you know what the relationship parallel is, don't you? Why, why we get along so well is this storied history of failures. Yet <laughs> we, are the, we are the two teams in the division that can actually win the Super Bowls that we That's go right. to. That's right. There's respect. There's respect among champions, my friends. It's yeah, it's that. And just <laughs> so many parallels between the two franchises going back to the 70s. Yeah, very true. I think we cracked the code here, Ross. I think we did it. That's it. it. We got it. We got (laughs) it. You're welcome, everyone. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. You you tell Falcons fans, you know what looks you know what looks cooler in their stadium? A Lombardi trophy. That's right. You know what's cooler than their preseason video? A Lombardi trophy. So. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of just the, uh, the 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 static sort of standard here yeah. in the NFC South is there are the two teams above the line and the two teams below the line. And that line is the Lombardi line. And that's just what it is. And exactly. so we're over here and they're somewhere down there. And that's fine. Uh, and and each of it them, looks like they're going to stay there. <laughs> and each of them have had double the opportunity as our teams. That's true. That's also very true. And one of them in particular had it in the bag. And then just just couldn't seem to close it out. Just couldn't seem to close it out. <laughs> Can we? We should just make sure that we understand too that this is this isn't just a Saints and Bucks crossover. This is a rest of the NFL. I'm sorry, rest of the NFC South slander episode as well. <laughs> so let's just go ahead and make sure that's in the title. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I told. I, I've said it before many times. I've actually never gotten any flack for it. So it's so it, it pretty much speaks to what you're talking about. I mean. I'm not a Saints fan by any means, but if there's if there's a team in the NFC South that I like, along with the Buccaneers, it is the Saints. And when Drew Brees won a Super Bowl, I was happy for him. I don't know how I feel about Sean Payton, but um, <laughs> I don't you know, Michael Thomas is him. my guy. Like the year that he came out of Ohio State, I was I was all about. He's a, he's a first round guy. He's a day one guy. There's right. no way he's not. Right. And you know, see him prove me right, even though nobody will ever give me credit for it, is is great. You know, there's there's connections to the Saints, and then there's the story of the Saints, of course. And I mean, it's just it's one of those franchises that I don't know. It's it seems like it'd be it'll be hard to hate them, unless you only think about the you know bounties and all that stuff. 
Yeah, the, but you know that's 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 all done. So <laughs> that's that's <laughs> moving all, on. that's Next we're second. moving on from that. We're gonna say that. But uh, but I, I I appreciate and I understand very much what you say in your sentiments about Sean Payton though because the, I, I always say that. If you're a Saints fan, you love Sean Payton. If you're a fan of 31 other teams, you absolutely hate him. Uh, <laughs> and yes. I can't, I could not imagine, I could not imagine, uh, first of all, I couldn't imagine not loving Sean Payton as a Saints fan, but I couldn't imagine being a, a fan of another team and having to look at Sean Payton on the sideline doing something petty every single week. I mean, this is a guy that vandalized the Cincinnati Bengals stadium for God's sake. Like he, <laughs> he really doesn't care. And that for I'll us, forgive. Yeah. <laughs> he, he can uh, vandalize Paul Brown all he wants. I'll forgive <laughs> that one. Uh, so it's just, it, it's exciting for us and we all love it. But I think that it is, it is pretty understood that, you know, outside of, outside of the saints. And I guess, I guess outside of the saints and the Cowboys who have a weird and fascination, I'm sorry, who have a weird infatuation with um, with Sean Payton for whatever that is. Uh, outside of them, uh, those two fan bases, most fan bases pretty much hate Sean Payton. Pretty mm, much hate him. Weird. He, <laughs> so, he does um, have a very punchable face. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, I'm sorry, but when like, he's smacking looks, his gum, fake shaking your head coach's hand after whooping your ass. Uh, no, no. Like, yeah. 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 The, the, the Handshake with Cutter at the end of the 2017 season was a very, was a very awkward moment for all of us. But yeah, I I, as as much as I felt bad for you in that NFC Championship game, Mm. like you you personally, Ross, because you're the only Saints fan that I know besides my mother-in-law that that I am okay with. Uh um, (laughs) I couldn't help but just I I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah. Every time they showed Sean Payton's face, because I'm like, uh, was- if anyone deserves for this to happen to them, it's Sean Payton. <laughs> oh, he served his time. He was suspended, not allowed to contact the team in 2012. You can it. You can feel bad for him a little bit. Come on, no, nope. not at all. <laughs> I felt I felt bad for everybody. I I felt bad for the Rams a little bit too because. I was like the Rams are in a no-win situation. Even if they won the Super Bowl, yeah, right for right. the rest of their for the rest of the of the existence of the NFL, there'll always be a yeah, but you know, right. yeah, not not a great look for them. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about. And I know that it's it's kind of a hot topic right now, and and you're you know you already put out a piece about it, but I just want to ask a little bit for the Saints fan perspective when we look at what happened with uh, with Jason Pierre-Paul. Uh, everybody feels awful. Uh, you hate that. You really hate that. Even from, uh, I'll say, a division opponent, uh, it, the game doesn't matter anymore, and you just kind of get concerned about a guy's lifestyle at that point and a guy's life. And I don't, I don't mess with neck injuries. Neck injuries creep me out. So I, I imagine that every neck injury is life altering, and so I just, I, my prayers are up for him. But uh, when it comes to his on-field absence, what is it that you expect? I mean, we kind of touched on Devin White having a little bit of a pre- or having a, a massive presence as an edge rusher, but with Vinny Curry having also left and still being available as a free agent, and with Anthony Nelson being drafted in the fourth round, are, are one of those guys the option at defensive end in terms of replacing Jason Pierre-Paul, or is there somebody else, some other name that Saints fans should know in that role? Well, and, and I think the jury's still out on whether or not JPP is going to miss any time. There's so many conflicting reports at this point in time. I mean, Tom Pelissaro said that, you know, it could be something that, you know, he can recover from and be back for week one. So it's mm-hmm. it's really up in the air right now. And, and of course, you have to go, like you said, you look beyond football and you think, you know, this is a guy who 
already came back from a gruesome accident, you know, where he blew his hand off and, and then to basically just end up wrecking his car because it, it hydroplaned in a storm. You know, that's, that's just bad, dumb luck. Second, second right. year in a row, the Buccaneers have had, have lost a player potentially due to a car accident. You know, when they lost uh, Kendall Beckwith, which is a name that saints fans will be familiar with another LSU right. linebacker. Gentlemen, we're going to have to wrap this one up, but I think we're going to have to do another one as we get a little closer to the season because this was just too damn much fun. So, 100%. With all of that being said, let's run through the business real quick one more time. Make sure you're checking out everything David and I are doing over at BucksNation.com. And of course, follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. Make sure you're giving our guy Ross a follow on Twitter at RossJacksonASC. Make sure you're checking out everything that he's doing over at AllSaintsConsidered.com. And of course, he is the host of Locked on Saints. We hope you all have a safe, wonderful, enjoyable day. And thanks so much for joining us right here on Crossover Thursday. Yeah.